And so this morning we're going to dive into um, part three of our New Year New Nets series. Um, it's been something that we've been kind of asking ourselves in order to effectively cast our nets, you know, in order to effectively reach other souls, in order to effectively uh, cast the nets that we have in, in our lives and as a church, we've got to be intentional about mending our nets too. Mending our nets. And the scriptures really kind of open up to us things in our lives that are unmended, things in our lives that are unraveled. And really, those are relationships relationships with God, relationships with others. And so, the last few weeks, what we've been focusing on is, is what is it that zeroes in, or what is it that, that really frays our connection with God? Um, a couple of weeks ago, we addressed the, the dynamic of sin. And how sin unravels and, and weakens our not with God. And today, what we're looking at is something completely different, but just as unraveling. And that is inattention. Inattention. Um, and so we're going to pray, and then we're going to study, maybe from a story that, that might be familiar to us. To us. So let's, uh, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we're asking today that you would give us eyesight. Uh, we're told in scripture that... Uh, <laughs> That we tend to think we see when we really don't see. Um, We tend to think we hear when we're really not perceiving. And so we're asking God that you would give us honesty enough to just lean on you for spiritual eyesight today. Um, Lord, you counseled us in Revelation chapter 3 to buy from you gold tried in fire, to buy from you white raiment, to, to clothe our nakedness. And to buy from you salve that we would see. So please, God, give us your Holy Spirit. That when we look into the scriptures, we would see Jesus. That when we look at these words on paper, we would see living words of life to our hearts. Please, Lord, send us your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' saving name, let the family say, Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles if you have them, your, your devices, whatever they are. Go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, and this is pretty much the only story recorded about Jesus' childhood life. Who can tell me, young people, what's the only story that we know in the Bible about Jesus' life as a boy? When he was in the, in the temple, in the temple, temple in Jerusalem. All right, so this was his first visit to the temple of Jerusalem. He was 12 years old at the time. We're going to Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 41. This was a special time. And it's a, it's, it actually turned out to be a very scary time if you're Jesus' parents, okay? All right, Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 41. I'm reading from the New King James Version today. If you're there, go ahead and say, I am there. All right, Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Here we go. His parents, speaking about Jesus' parents, Joseph and Mary, they went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. This is a good time. And this is a really interesting story on a lot of different levels. We're just going to kind of zero in on one particular dynamic. We, we realize that, you know, this, at a young age... This was a very pivotal moment for Jesus himself. When you kind of walk through the real time that Jesus experienced. Uh, This was a pivotal moment in Jesus' own awareness of his life purpose. But today I want to zero in because this story causes us to raise our own awareness of Jesus' presence in our lives. 
Notice what happens here. A high experience, Jesus' first experience going to the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And then verse 43, when they had finished the days, as they returned, the boy Jesus did what? He lingered or stayed behind in Jerusalem. And notice this, Joseph and his mother did not know it. Enter the suspenseful music, right? Dun, dun, dun. Joseph and Mary, I mean, this is, I mean, you think about all the things that kind of go on in, in our day and age and stuff right now in the 21st century. When you lose sight of your kids, your mind is racing as to the possibilities of what's going on. Joseph and Mary, I don't know, maybe they didn't have some of these um, dynamics to deal with, or maybe they did. In fact, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Joseph or Mary was suddenly thinking about 12 years prior to when someone was on the hunt for Jesus' life. And in an angelic vision, they were told to flee to Nazareth, you know. So this is, this is all coming back, I imagine, you know, after spending so much time, a spiritual high, kind of a camp meeting experience, so to speak. They're enjoying fellowship along the way. And then all of a sudden, tragedy, all these frightful thoughts. They did not know it. According to verse 44, let's read on. But supposing him, does anybody else's Bible have a different word besides supposing him? Thinking, okay. Anything else there? All right, so I've got, it says, supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey. All right, so they've traveled an entire day now, all the way from Jerusalem, thinking or supposing Jesus to be where? In their company, right? Supposing him to have been in the company. The word there for supposing, it's, it's, it's really talking about assuming something to be true just because it's always true. Like a rule or a law of physics, they just knew that Jesus was always in their company. So they were supposing, they were assuming, and they had been able to do this for the past 12 years, that Jesus would always be there right at the right time, right when they needed him. But they did not know that he had lingered in Jerusalem. They went a day's journey and they sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. They're not finding him. Joseph and Mary had presumed Jesus' presence because it was so customary, like a rule or a law of physics. And my question today is, have we ever had this problem? Okay, maybe we're not entrusted with the guardianship of a 12-year-old boy Jesus, but have we ever had the problem where we have supposed him to be in our company and he wasn't? It's a problem that, um, that no one ever tries or plans to experience, but I think it's a problem that, that we're all too familiar with, and that problem is simply this, missing Jesus. Supposing him to be in our company when we're really a day's journey away. And don't get the wrong picture about God here. The problem is not that Jesus is a mischievous child who sneaks away from his parents. <laughs> Nor is, is God the kind of God who plays hard to get or, or kind of like wants to get away from us. No, 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 no. In fact, in, I think it's in Acts chapter 17. We have a scripture here. Acts chapter 17, Paul is preaching and he tells us about this kind of God who sets up human boundaries and, and he has these plans for humanity and it's for this purpose. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not what? He is not far. He is not far from any one of us. Don't get the wrong picture about God that he wants to get away from our company. 
No, the problem is that we have a short attention span and that we're prone to let our focus be consumed with other things than our relationship with him and making sure that he is actually in our company or that we are in his company. This is a really interesting problem, and I want us to consider this because I think this results in a frayed relationship with God in ways that sometimes we're not even aware of. Inattention. Like a couple of weeks ago, we talked about sin. Yes, sin gets in the way. It separates us from God. It ruins our relationship and trust. It breaks that trust in God. <coughs> but something that, <clears throat> that just, as se- just as severely frays our not with God is our inability or our inattention to our relationship with God. This isn't something we try to do. It's not something that we commit. It's a, it's a sin of omission, if you will, rather than a sin of commission. And that's just being careless in, in, in our attention towards Jesus. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 2. I want you to keep your, your finger or a bookmark or something in Luke 2 because we're going to go back to this. But in Hebrews chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is writing to a group of people who's not with God, is being frayed for various reasons, and one of them is inattention. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to start in verse, just actually, yeah, look at verse 1 alone. Thank you. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Take your time in getting there. All right. Hebrews 2, verse 1. When you're there, say amen. All right. Hebrews 2. Now, in chapter 1, Paul has just, you know, he's just highlighted how awesome Jesus is. How, how he is the only one that we ought to look to. He's the one that sustains the worlds by the power of his word. <clears throat> He's greater than the angels. He's greater than anything we could possibly imagine. And then in chapter 2, he says this, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest what happens? Lest we drift away. excuse me, lest we drift away. Paul is warning us about a danger that in our relationship with God, uh, and specifically these these individuals who are struggling in their faith and they're not with God is freeing. he's, He's identifying something in our experience that there is a tendency to drift away. Now, I grew up in a hot town called Bakersfield in the Central Valley of California. And um, probably one out of every three backyards had a swimming pool in it. One of, uh, and, and our house was one of them growing up. And I, I spent summer days just drifting, if you will. Right? And uh, once I figured out how to float and all those kinds of things, it was kind of fun for me to just kind of hold my breath, duck my head down, and just see how far along I could go before, before uh, you know, coming up for air. And the thing is this, drifting happens whether we want it to or not. Right? Drifting happens because of the currents that exist. The, the word here, um, when it's talking about lest we drift away, it's, it's the only time this word is ever used in the New Testament scripture. And it's the idea of slipping away, floating past, not out of an active attempt to try to get away, but by and by just being carried along by the current. And the reality is that on this side of the Garden of Eden, the default current of our lives does not naturally lead us to a closer relationship with God. The current of our lives naturally leads us away, distancing, 
from a close relationship with Jesus. I don't know if you've, you've, you've felt this personally, but this is, just, this is the reality on this side of the Garden of Eden. Sustaining a strong knot with God will always require going against that natural current. It will always require or involve a risk of drifting away if we don't intentionally seek after God. Okay. So how do we prevent this danger of drifting? According to this appeal, he, uh, Paul is kind of giving us a remedy for drifting. Something that if we do this, we won't drift away. What is it? He says, therefore, we must give the more earnest, what? The more earnest heed to the things we have heard. In other words, we avoid drifting by giving attention. If you want a recipe for drifting... Don't give attention. <laughs> you follow that? If you want to drift, if you plan to drift, then give careless attention to your relationship with God. Assume, suppose, just like Jesus' parents. The word here, to give more earnest heed, it's to give full attention to, to set a course and to keep it, to devote thought and effort to, to hold to a person or to a thing, to cleave to a person or to a thing. And the fact that it says a more earnest heed it's kind of this superlative of just saying, hey, extraordinarily, exceedingly give this effort, give this attention beyond what you would expect, further than the upper limit, going past what is anticipated. Paul says, if you don't want to drift, give more earnest heed. Don't be careless in your attention to the things you have heard and to the person that you are following. So what do we do? What do we do when we have drifted? What do we do when our knots have slowly faded into a non-existent knot with God? What do we do when our knot with God has been undone by a slow fade of neglect? Let's go back to Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, let's just follow the road of the parents of Mary and Joseph. Because I think there's something about their example of physically being reunited with Jesus that spiritually speaking, I think we can follow this road too. Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we'll start again in verse 44. Luke chapter 2, it says, But supposing him to have been in the company, they went a day's journey. So they're a day's journey now, distant from Jesus. Their knot has been unraveled from the physical presence of Jesus. What, what happens to reunite that, that connection? <clears throat> it says the rest of verse 44. And they sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. Okay, so let's just take a look because we've got two steps here. Two steps here uh, towards mending their, their relationship that has been frayed away by neglect. Mending step number one, stop assuming. <laughs> right? Stop supposing that he is in your company. Stop just thinking to yourself that this is a, a rule or a law of physics that my relationship with God will always be close just, just because. No, uh, something that I've discovered after owning a, a backyard a few, a few different places is that the natural default of soil is that it will grow weeds, not grow beautiful flowers and fruit trees, right? It requires intentionality to cultivate the things that we want, the fruitfulness in our lives of a relationship with God. It won't just happen. So stop assuming. That's step number one. Stop assuming. For Mary and Joseph, they had to, they had to realize, okay, uh, our assuming, our suppositions is not going to reunite us with Jesus. We need to do something. So what did they start doing? If they stopped assuming, they started seeking. They started seeking, right? In the rest of verse 44, and they sought him 
sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. This word, anazoteo, uh, it, it, it comes up three times just in these few verses. Let's, let's find it. Verse 45, so when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. So they go phase one, they seek amongst their, their uh, travel company, their relatives and their friends. Phase two, they're seeking him now to Jerusalem. So they're going back, they're retracing steps. Now, so it was that after three days, they found him in the temple sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And then notice down here uh, in verse 48, So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have done what? Have sought you anxiously. There it is, three times. Uh, Zateo, this, this determined seeking after uh, the word describes, or the word involves this sense of looking up and looking down and leaving no stone unturned. They were persistent in their seeking. I think it, it reminds me of, of that promise in Jeremiah chapter 29, in verse 13, spoken to a, a people that was taken into captivity, wondering if their relationship with God, their not with God, would ever be mended. And God's promise in Jeremiah 29, verse 13 is, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. With an intensity, a passion, a, a, a determination to not stop until we've found. Seeking According to Joseph and Mary's experience, it may require retracing steps. And in our attempts to, to reconnect with God spiritually, not just physically reuniting ourselves with Him, but spiritually mending our nets may require retracing steps, going back over ground where you know that you've been with God. Doing things and even going places where you remember your knot was strong and personal. I don't know if you've ever done this before. If you, in your mind, if you have certain uh, places, physical places, that remind you of your of how good God is, and uh, there are certain experiences that I personally kind of go back to. There are per- places in Scripture that I, I go back to. I don't know if you're in the habit of, of marking your Bible, but uh, some people actually put a date next to a particular verse when that verse is speaking powerfully to them or when they've seen that promise fulfilled in their lives. And there are th- times in our lives where in order to mend our nets, we're going to have to retrace some steps, go back to familiar ground. As Ephesians chapter 2 says, uh, the, the message to the church, I'm sorry, the Revelation chapter 2, the message to the church of Ephesus, go back to your first love. Have you heard that remedy before? This is something that, that Joseph and Mary are having to do on a physical level, but in a spiritual way, we do this too. So stop assuming, stop uh, just kind of fooling ourselves into thinking that our relationship with God will naturally grow closer with little or no effort. And then start seeking. Start seeking uh, in a determined way. Start seeking in an up and down way, not leaving a stone unturned. And what's interesting, before we get to our third step of of mending, uh, it's interesting to me that one day of careless inattention actually resulted in three days of painful search. Um, and, And what that speaks to me is just that when we're seeking to restore a neglected relationship with God, it may involve a greater investment of time and energy than we initially think. It may require some anazateo, persistence. It may require some determined seeking. And so I just want to encourage us today that, that uh, you know, 
I mean, we may think, okay, I'll just catch up with my time with God later. (laughs) It may result in greater consequence than we realize. Simple neglect, careless neglect may require uh, three days of painful seeking, so to speak. So stop assuming, start seeking, and then what did they do? Where did they find him? They found him in the temple. Find him in the temple. It's interesting because they sought first in their relatives and acquaintances. And sometimes when we're trying to rebuild our relationship with God, we go to other people to do that for us or with us. And maybe there's a place for that. But I tell you what, that's not going to be what resolves your relationship with God. It's going to be you and him, one-on-one personal time with him. Find him in the temple. How do we find God in the temple? There's no physical structure. Is it just about going to church every seven days? No. Find him in the temple. What's really interesting to me is that the temple throughout scripture, and I think David in the Psalms uh, demonstrates this best, but that the temple is really a metaphor of coming to God's presence. Coming to God's presence. Um, There's an awesome verse. I think I have it here. Psalm 27 verse 4. Of anything that David wants to ask of God, if, if he were to have a genie in the bottle, so to speak, his one wish, his one desire, one thing I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may do what? What is his desire? To dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, and to seek him where? In his temple. What's David saying? That the temple is the the most glorious physical structure that I could possibly imagine. It's the most comfortable for me and I want to live there every single day of my life. No, he's not talking about a physical structure that he wants to be in. He's wanting to be in the presence of God. All the days of his life. Unbroken communion. That's what he wants. No days of of careless inattention or, or neglect. And notice, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For him, for David, finding God in the temple was about a relational dialogue. It was not just this, uh, this pursuit of doing these ritualistic things in God's presence for God. No, it was, it was an engaging relationship to inquire, to seek, to listen, to be counseled, to confess, to give, to pour out my heart. To find him in the temple is a metaphor for seeking out the presence of God in quiet meditation, earnest inquiry, and relational exchange. Are we following this today? Yeah? So if you're, if you're feeling like, oh man, my relationship with God, my, my not with God, okay, so maybe sin hasn't been getting in the way, but there's just a disconnect. There's just distance. Well, maybe the distance has not been something that you have tried to do, but because of what we haven't done. But we, because, of the in a, excuse me, because of the attention I haven't given, I have drifted away, like Hebrews 2 says. How do I then drift back? <laughs> How do I get the oar and paddle back? Well, stop assuming, start seeking, and find him in the temple. Find him in secret, solitude, personal, intimate, daily time alone. Does this make sense today? Yeah? Yeah. Uh, this is something that I think... Um, David talks about it even more. Go with me to the Psalms. I don't think I have it here on the screen. Psalm 63. Psalm 63. And I love this. Um, I was actually... <laughs> one thing I do is just kind of my, my devotional routine. 
as I'm, uh, you know, I said, you know, I try to list blessings and I count three things that I'm thankful for. And then I go straight to a psalm for the day because it just kind of perpetuates this attitude of gratitude. And uh, Psalm 63 was in my, my weekly or my daily regimen this week. And it just stood out to me in light of what we're studying today. Psalm 63, if you're there, say amen. Okay, we're going to read the first three verses. I'm going to read them out loud, but I want you to be processing, how is it that David seeks God? How is it that he seeks God in the temple? There's there's some, again, sanctuary temple language here. uh, David is seeking God, seeking his presence. So I, I want to hear from you too. So I'm going to read this, but look for the things that indicate how David was going about, what his experience was like in seeking God. Okay, here it is. Psalm 63, beginning in verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Why? Because your love is better than life. My lips shall praise you. All right. Think on this. Chew on this for a little bit. What is it? What do you see here in verses 1, 2, and 3? What's, what's your feedback here? How is David seeking? What's involved in David's seeking after God? What do you see? What is it? Early? early? Okay, yeah. There in verse 1, he's seeking early. Does anybody have a different word besides early? Will I seek you? Earnestly. earnestly. Yeah, earnestly. It's actually, um, yeah, it can be translated either way. The idea is it's the earnestness that leads you to get up early for it. You know, early bird gets the worm, that kind of thing. You know that, okay, if you really want to get something done, get it done early, right? And so there's, a, there's an earnestness and an eagerness that equates with earliness. Okay, what else stands out to you about David's seeking after God here in the first three verses? Other phrases, other words? In the sanctuary, I heard, yeah. Okay, so in the sanctuary again. Um, What was the purpose in verse 2? So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see what exactly? Yeah. Yeah. So earlier in Psalm 27, uh, he's wanting to see the beauty of the Lord, right? To inquire in his temple. But here he's saying, hey, when I go to the sanctuary, when I go to this time with you, I want to see your power. And your glory. You know what that is? That's his ability and his character. He wants to see not just what God can do, but who he is. I tell you, when we're going to the word, when we're going to this time alone with God, if you're looking for instruction of how to spend time with God, don't just look for a checklist to check off, but look for God's power and his glory. Look for what he has done, but then beyond what he has done, oh, that was a nice story where he led the disciples across the stormy sea. Look for his character. What is that saying about who he is? He is a God who will lead me. He is a God who cares enough. He's not someone who's just sleeping on the job. (laughs) He is someone who is with me and will see me through every single storm I go through. All right. Anything else here? Anything? What is it? Thirst. Thirst. Yeah, yeah. And you know what this tells us about David's experience of seeking? For him, it wasn't optional. For him, it meant life. 
because everywhere else he would seek for significance or, or security, it wouldn't satisfy. He's thirsty because everywhere else is a dry land except God's presence, except relationship with him. David knew that seeking after him was his lifeline. And I think this is something that maybe gets in the way of us being able to really seek after God. A lot of times we think seeking God in the quiet, seeking God in our time alone is just something we have to do. But what if everywhere else is dry and thirsty and the only place I can truly be satisfied is in personal relationship with Jesus? Man, early, that's why he's getting up early. Early will I seek my flesh longs for you, soul thirsts for you in a dry and thirsty land. There's no water anywhere else. And then in verse 3, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. So his time of seeking was always with a heart full of praise. He's always being wowed by God's covenant faithfulness. His covenant love. I love that word. Loving kindness. That's referring to the kind of love that, you know, not just your, your uh, preference for tacos. <laughs> I love tacos. No, no. Uh, loving kindness here is talking about love that is true to its vows. And David says, man, you're true to your vows, God. And because you love me like that, that's better than anything this world has to offer me. <laughs> and for that reason, my lips shall praise you. This is how David seeks. Can we seek like this too? Can we seek like this too? Can we seek early, earnestly, with eager longing? Can we seek with an eye for his his power and glory, his ability and character, what he does and who he is? Can we seek with a heart full of praise, being wowed by God's covenant love and loyalty? In your morning time with God, sure, yeah, go through your reading plan, sure, study something deep and intellectually stirring, but let your heart be moved by who God is to us. And his great love for us. Engage him in relational dialogue, not just intellectual monologue. Get to know him. Get to know him. Find him in the temple. Find him in the temple. This is incredible to me because this is something that for, for much of my, my growing up years, relationship with God was not on my radar. Knowing about God and knowing the stories and being able to give the answers at the right time when the Bible teacher asked me, that was, that was something I was familiar with. But in seeking Him personally, intimately, and daily, that was something that totally revolutionized my life. Why? Because it's relationship with God that is eternal life. Right? John 17, verse 3. This is life eternal, that you might know him, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Mm. What's interesting to me is that a lot of times when we approach this idea of spending daily time with God, we, we may be even well-intentioned. We may even have, have good ideas about it, but still sometimes we fall short of the real experience that God wants for us. And I came aware of this statement that really just kind of rocked my world when I read it. It says this, many even in their seasons of devotion. So even in the times that they've, they've set aside, this is my tag time, time alone with God. This is my season of devotion. Many, even in their season of devotion, fail of receiving the blessing of what? Of real communion with God. Has this ever happened to you? Can I get a witness? I mean, <laughs> where we have this plan, I'm going to set aside this amount of time every single day, and I'm going through this plan, and even if I'm checking it off, and I've got a streak going on in my Bible app, you know, even then, I'm missing the blessing. The blessing of what? 
the blessing of real communion with God. But my Sabbath school quarterly is all chock full. I've gone through every single thing in my, my reading list. But have I experienced the blessing of real communion with God? They are in too great haste. So apparently, early seeking, seeking God in the temple, requires an investment of time as well. With hurried steps, they press through the circle of Christ's loving presence, pausing perhaps a moment within the sacred precincts, but not waiting for counsel. In other words, it's been one-way talk. It's been hand on the doorknob, uh, text of the day, you know, that kind of thing. But we, we've just rushed through the circle of Christ's loving presence. It's as if God's arms are waiting to embrace, but we're, hey, got to get going. Oh, this is my experience all too often. And I, this week, especially as I've just been preparing for this message, my prayer as I've been opening up the word is, God, let me linger long in the circle of your loving presence. Stay there. Stay there. Friends, don't let us be in too great haste and press through the circle of Christ's loving presence. They have no time to remain with the divine teacher. It's possible to miss the goal, even in our seasons of devotion. And friends, if you're not with God, has been strained by just the neglect and the drifting away that happens, find him in the temple and stay long in the circle of his loving presence. Do it. Do it. Your life will change because of it. And in Psalm 63, the, what he says as he's in, it, later on in verses 6, 7, and 8, he's talking about remembering God, meditating on God, and all these things. And the result is that his soul follows close behind him. Your right hand upholds me. In other words, my soul is so tightly knit. It's the same word for a man leaving his father and mother to be joined to his wife, to be cleaved to his wife. This is the intimacy that God wants for us when we're seeking him. Not pressing through the circle of his loving presence, but taking time to remain with him. (sighs) Do you want to mend your nets today? (laughs) God wants it so badly. His circle of loving presence is is something that we can linger long in, to stay in. Um, Is there another slide to this? There is. Oh, I'm so sorry. Notice this. Okay. Oh, okay. This is where it transitions because here there's a practical result. Sometimes you think, okay, hey, wait, I thought we were talking about mending nets so we could cast them better. Where's the casting part? How, are we, how is this going to impact our ability to reach the community? Here's the thing. When we leave our net undone with God, we cannot catch others for God. These workers can never attain the highest success until they learn the secret of strength. Well, what is that? Not a pause for a moment in his presence, but personal contact with Christ to sit down in companionship with him. This is our need. And if it's our need to not to, to, to mend these nets, then it's the world's need that we spend time with God. Do you follow that? It's the world's need that we spend time with God. As long as we're not, then we've got broken nets. We're just casting broken nets into the world. Some of us are, oh man, <laughs> sorry, that was not. Uh, if you're still in Psalms, um, go with me just a few Psalms later, Psalm 67. I've often kind of wondered this question, like, man, is this really going to, I mean, <laughs> maybe the pragmatists among us think to ourselves, well, this just isn't going to get anything done. <laughs> but what if this is the only way to get things done? In Psalm 67, verse 1 and 2, notice this is one of the the missionary psalms. 
says, God, be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. You know what that's a prayer for? That's a prayer for God's face to look our way, for us to have face-to-face communion with God, right? This was the, the um, ironic blessing, the Levitical blessing in Numbers chapter 6. May the Lord bless you and keep you and cause his face to shine on you, okay? To have intimate relationship with God. So it's a prayer for that. God, be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. For what purpose? What result? Verse 2, that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. God, please bless me with a relationship with you that is so face-to-face that we have this amazing daily face time with each other so that the world may know that you save. are not with God. When it's tied up through personal communion with Him, personal contact with Christ, it will enable us to effectively cast nets into the world. Ministry of Healing, just just reading this yesterday in a newsletter that was shared with me. Nothing is more needed in our work than the practical results of communion with God. Yes, communion with God, your relationship with God, as you tend to that, as you no longer neglect it, as we're not careless and inattention, as we stop supposing and assuming, as we start seeking, that communion will have practical results. Practical, well, what what were the practical results? We would show by our daily lives that we have peace and rest in the Savior. Have you ever noticed that your peace and rest in the Savior is lacking? when your communion with God is lacking. <laughs> yeah. Um, sorry, kids. I, I, yeah, anyways, they feel the results of that sometimes too. Anyways, his peace in the heart. That's another result. His peace in the heart will shine forth in the countenance. It will give to the voice a persuasive power. Men will take knowledge of us as of the first disciples that we have been with Jesus. This will impart to the worker a power that nothing else can give Of this power, he must not allow himself to be deprived. Don't let yourselves be deprived of this power. Why? Because then we'll just be throwing out broken nets into the world. Let your knot with God be knit by daily communion with him. Personally seeking him in the temple. Early seeking him in the temple. Seeking not just what, well, what does the Bible say, but who he is. (sighs) How is your knot with God today? How is your not with God? How intentional have we been to strengthen our not with God? Have we been assuming that it's stronger than our lives have been intentional to make it? Friends, today, the simple appeal is to stop assuming and start seeking. Find him in the temple. Yeah. Do you have tag time? Time alone with God? Do you, do you daily dwell in his temple? If not... Why not? The circle of his loving presence is constantly there. Don't press through anymore. Stay in that circle. Stay in that circle. And like David, I will dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Unbroken communion. Seek him in the quiet, in daily earnest, and early time with him. I want to encourage you, friends, if it, just to kind of maybe get a little bit on the more practical side of things. Maybe you've had this idea. I, I, I thought about preaching this at the beginning of the new year when we're all thinking about reading plans and like starting something new and things like that. But I thought, you know what? Maybe we should do this in February <laughs> when those reading plans and the enthusiasm kind of draws or wears away. Here's the point. I want to encourage you. If you don't have a reading plan, get a reading plan. And then read with a different goal. 
Read with the goal of not to check it off, but read with the goal of staying in the circle of God's loving presence. How many of you are willing to do that? To, you know, maybe your reading plan is, you know, you've got your Sabbath school lesson or your uh, Bible app reading plan or whatever the case. Maybe you're reading through a book or something like that. Go ahead. Yeah, finish it. Take care of it. Actually read it. But when you read it, read with a different eye. Read with an eye to hear him individually speaking to your heart. Read with the goal of staying long in his presence. Let your measure of success not be, did I do it or did I not? But let your measure of success be, how satisfied was I in God's presence? Try it. Try it. This is something that um, my friends and I at seminary, when we started kind of checking in with each other, uh, started an accountability group. Uh, This question totally changed everything for me. It wasn't the question of, have you spent your time with God? The question was, how satisfied were you in your time with God? Yeah. Stay long in the circle of his loving presence. Take your Bible, read it, not just for information's sake, but for relationship's sake. To know him, to listen to him, to, to see how he's revealing himself to you. Let your Bible study be prayerful. Let your Bible study even be conversational. Ask him questions. Let him answer. Let it be relational dialogue and exchange. Watch how your life will be joined to God, cleaved to him as a result of this. So, question today. How many of you are willing to take the challenge? Yes, I will stay long in the circle of Christ's loving presence. How many of you are willing to do that? Yeah? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for giving us a little roadmap that when our relationship drifts through careless inattention, that we can seek you and find you when we seek for you with all of our hearts. God, I pray that there would be a revival of our time with you, (laughs) that there would be a revival of daily time. Lord, you know the duration of time that we need. We just want the quality of it. That's what we're praying for, that we would be satisfied in the circle of your loving presence each and every day. Lord, we ask that the practical results of real communion with God would be born through our lives. Let us not do it in order to get results, Lord. Let us do it just for the sake of knowing you because this is life eternal. But Lord, we give you permission to bear the fruit as we abide in Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' saving name. Let the family say, Amen and Amen.